I come from there and I have memories. Born as mortals are, I have a mother and a house with many windows. I have brothers, friends, and a prison cell with a cold window. Mine is the wave snatched by seagulls. I have my own view and an extra blade of grass. Mine is the moon at the far edge of the words and the bounty of birds and the immortal olive tree. I walked this land before the swords turned its living body into a laden table. I come from there. I render the sky unto her mother when the sky weeps for her mother. And I weep to make myself known to a returning cloud. I learnt all the words worthy of the cord of blood so that I could break the rule. I learnt all the words and broke them up to make a single word, homeland. Scripture reading for this morning is from Proverbs 24, verses 11 to 12. Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay each person according to what he has done? And from Matthew chapter 11, verses 18 to 21. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her actions. Then Jesus began to denounce the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin! Woe to you, Bethsaida! If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. Well, good morning. For those of you who don't know me, my name is Nate Yoder. I have the privilege of serving with West Coast Mennonite Central Committee. And uh, I just want to say a big thank you to Madison Street, to Pastor Jeff. Uh, you guys are great supporters of MCC, and we are very, very grateful. It's uh, people like you that makes our work possible. Uh, you support it in so many ways. Uh, relief kits, the relief sale, uh, the list just goes on and on. And if you are interested, uh, on the table to your right as you go out, we have our most recent annual report that gives a snapshot of the work done around the world. You're, you're free to take one of those. And we also have a booklet that has just come out called MCC and Palestine and Israel, Commonly Asked Questions. Uh, MCC has been active in Israel and Palestine for over 50 years, and we get a lot of questions, and this answers some of that. You may be interested in taking that with you. This Sunday uh, probably has its roots about a year ago. I think it was in November of last year that I received an email. It may have been from you, Jeff. I'm not sure. 
uh, saying, there is a conference in Bethlehem called Christ at the Checkpoint. MCC really should be there. And, and that started a flurry of events, and we ended up taking a group of 10 from California, including, I think, three or four from Madison Street, four from Madison Street, to this conference in Bethlehem last March. Christ at the Checkpoint is a conference put on by Bethlehem Bible College. Uh, this was the fourth biannual conference they had, and it simply tries to wrestle with the question, if Christ were standing at the checkpoints today, what would he do? Uh, it was interesting before I went, uh, and even since then, uh, I often we get questions sometime about Israel and Palestine, and from a North American perspective, they often feel rather uh, lawyerly, skeptical, and not with much of an open posture. It's more of a, show me which side you're on, and then I'll respond. And I tend to get that from both sides. The experience I had in Palestine was completely different. I went to Christ at the Checkpoint Conference, and to this day when I think about it, I still am just blown away at the witness of our Palestinian Christian brothers and sisters. It was an open posture of deep listening, even to those who may differ. It was a confident posture that even when it's hard, Jesus calls us to be witnesses for justice and peace and to be people who love even those who are different from us. I think I, I thought many times, you know, as an Anabaptist, I have read the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the peacemakers. Love your enemies even and be perfect like your Father in heaven is. Those type of verses. And I sat there and I thought, here are people who live this passage in a way I never have before. And I was blown away by their witness. On Palm Sunday morning, we were at a Lutheran church there in uh, Beit Sahor, just outside of Bethlehem. And the pastor said, when you go back, just please tell our story. Don't forget to tell our story. And that's really how we got to today. As we came back, we said, how do we share the story? And so uh, West Coast MCC is hosting uh, Dr. Alex Awad uh, here today at Fuller Seminary tomorrow and then Tuesday through Thursday up in the Fresno area to help share some of this story of people who are working for peace, the peace that Christ calls us to orient our lives around. Dr. Alex Awad, he is born and raised in Jerusalem. He pastored a church in Jerusalem for many years, was very instrumental, was even the dean of Bethlehem Bible College for many, many years. He's an author. He's written books through the eyes of the victims and Palestinian memories, uh, and which talk about the experience he's lived through over there in Bethlehem. Uh, he's recently retired, June of last year, and before his retirement, he directed the Shepherd Society, which is the, the humanitarian arm of Bethlehem Bible College, and many Palestinians uh, seek help through them, meeting emergency needs. Uh, Alex is married to Brenda. They now live in Eugene, Oregon, and they have three children and two grandchildren. So I want to uh, pray for you. Why don't you come up here, and I want to pray for you as you come. Let's pray together.
Lord Jesus, in the spot of the world where Alex, near where Alex spent much of his life, you declared that the Spirit of God was upon you to bring good news, the good news of peace, the good news of your justice, the good news of your desire to have all people in this world live in harmony and to flourish. Thank you that that same spirit has guided and directed Alex's life for so many years. And I pray now that as he speaks this morning, we would all be open to your spirit moving among us so that we too may be inspired as to how we can walk alongside our brothers and sisters who are working for peace in the Holy Land and that we can be inspired to how we can be agents of peace both here and around the world. We invite your presence among us. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Thank you. Salaamu Alaikum. Wow, let's do it again. Assalamu Alaikum means peace be to you. So you say Alaikum Salam. You are returning the peace back to me. Can you hear me all right now? Okay, let's try it again. Assalamu Alaikum. Wow, you do it so good, I'll continue in Arabic. <laughs> no, well, uh, uh, again, I'm so thankful to be with you. I'm so thankful to the pastor, to the people of this church for uh, this privilege of being with you. Um, and I'm thankful for the MCC, which is paying my ticket to come here. <laughs> so this is wonderful. But uh, as I came into the church, you know, I start seeing people that I recognize. There was Elias here, and there was Elias Teet, and uh, I looked at the board and I saw this guy there, his name is Raed. He was my student at Bethlehem Bible College. <laughs> and now he teaches from time to time at uh, the Bible College, Dr. Raed Abdel Messiah from Jerusalem. Uh, and it's so good to see, you know, these uh, pictures of Palestinians. As I surveyed the pictures, I couldn't see a terrorist among them. <laughs> they, they all look like people, like, uh, you know, humans, right? And it's good to put a face uh, to the Palestinian people that they are not just a bunch of terrorists. Right, Elias? <laughs> yeah, they, of course, agree with me because they know most Palestinians are like most Americans, really good people who want peace and who want to coexist uh, with their Israeli neighbors in peace and justice. So I'm really thankful to be here. What I'm going to be doing this morning, uh, really two things. First, an introduction. And in my introduction, I want to tell you a little bit about the story of Bethlehem Bible College. We have right there, two graduates of Bethlehem Bible College. I'm really glad to see you guys. Um, so uh, so I, I want to tell you about the Bible College. Christ at the Checkpoint um, is a work of Bethlehem Bible College. So it's good for you to know a little bit about the college. Then after we finish with Bethlehem Bible College, I'm going to uh, share with you under uh, the title, uh, a biblical call to action. You know, how God calls us to action. Okay, so two things I hope we can accomplish this morning by the grace of God. Are you ready? Yes. Fasten your seatbelt, we are going to fly. <laughs> <laughs>
Okay, so let's uh, get this thing going and let me see. I, does this work? Let's see if it does. Okay. It does? Okay, it doesn't on my computer, but that's okay because it shouldn't. <laughs> okay. All right, so what you see in, uh, in here is um, a picture of the founder of Bethlehem Bible College. His name is Bishara. He's the one raising his hand up. Um, so he's my brother. Um, about 37 years ago, he had a vision of starting a Bible college in Bethlehem because people who wanted to study the Bible used to go to other countries used to go to England, to United States, to Philippines, to South Korea, to study the Bible, but not in Bethlehem. So Bishara had this idea, why not have a Bible college in Bethlehem? So he gathered a group of pastors and church leaders, and he shared his vision with them. And he said, we need a Bible college in Bethlehem. They all said, this is a great idea, but since it's your idea, you go ahead and do it. <laughs> yeah, it's dangerous to share an idea with people because they may, it may bounce back at you. But anyway, one of the pastors, pastor of a Nazarene church in Jerusalem, went to Bishara and put money in his hand. And he said, start your Bible college. So Bishara had the vision, he had money in his hand, and sure enough, he started with about 10 students. You know how much money he had? $20. <laughs> That's a miracle, you know, with $20. At that time, my wife and I were living and teaching school in the United States. So Bishara, 37 years ago, brought me a snail mail letter. No internet. And he said, Alex, God put on my heart to start a college in Bethlehem. Would you and your wife, Brenda, come and help? Immediately after we received that letter, we felt this is what God wanted us to do. We resigned our teaching job, and we bought our own ticket, and we went to Bethlehem to help him start Bethlehem Bible College. It has been a great experience. Those of you who visited the Bible College, they can give a testimony of what God has been doing. Not us, you know, we do the little thing, but God does the big thing. So it is through God's grace. We had a wonderful, wonderful college in Bethlehem. It is impacting in Bethlehem, has a great impact in Bethlehem, but also through Christ and the Checkpoint and through all the groups from all over the world who come to hear the professors, we have really impact all over the world. So that is Bethlehem Bible College. If you see that uh, building on, yeah, on the right, that is one of the first buildings we rented because God did many miracles. We didn't have money, we didn't have a building, we had nothing except an idea, but God started working and meeting our needs. So let's see, did, they, did that work? Yeah, it did. This is Bethlehem. And that's where we have Bethlehem Bible College. This is the Church of Nativity in Bethlehem, where Jesus was born. And so miracles still happen in Bethlehem. That's the wonderful thing about it. And 
really, Bethlehem Bible College is a modern-day miracle. But Bethlehem also have challenges. We have a wall around Bethlehem. Actually, Bethlehem is like in a prison. Not only Bethlehem, but also Gaza, but also Ramallah. Almost every Palestinian town and city has a huge wall around it, and that makes it a challenge for everybody, a challenge for everybody, but also especially for the Christian community in the Holy Land. Okay, so what do we do at Bethlehem Bible College? Well, we teach the Bible. <laughs> you know, that's, that's why we are a, a Bible college. So it's a Christian education, discipleship, growth, transforming hearts and minds. The good news is now we have pastors, we have church leaders, we have evangelists, we have educators, men and women who are graduates of Bethlehem Bible College. Like this man there, Dr. Raid Abdel Masih. He came to us a student, now he is a professor, he is a teacher, he is a wonderful man. So we thank God. The vision that God gave us is really alive in the hearts of many of the men and women that God has sent to us. We also have tour guide program. If you ever come to the Holy Land, you want a tour guide, touch, uh, get in touch with Bethlehem Bible College. Say, I want a Christian tour guide, and they'll give you one. <laughs> All right, so we, we are teaching tour guiding so that we can help our students have a job. Okay, just to make sure we are on the same line. We also have a mass media program where students can study mass media in order to speak out the message of Christ and the message of the Palestinian people to the rest of the world. And we have a peace program. Mennonite churches have contributed, and now we have the first master degree peace study program in Bethlehem, where we teach men and women from Bethlehem, from Palestine, from Israel, from all around the world, to, to focus on peace and justice studies. So that is going on in Bethlehem. These are our, some of our students and faculty in the peace study program. And if you are interested, just come and study peace in the town of the Prince of Peace. All right, we have a wonderful public library, the first public library in Bethlehem. Um, we, we started at Bethlehem Bible College. Any man, woman, or child in Bethlehem can come to our library, borrow a book, or read a book in our library. And um, before I retired, we had a graduation at Bethlehem Bible College. My wife and I, you know, watch about over 50 students graduate. We were so thrilled to see the idea, the vision that God has given us alive in the lives and in the ministries of our students. We also have community programs. Uh, we do a lot in the community. We do teach the Bible at Bethlehem Bible College, teach evangelism, teach all kinds of wonderful things, but also we have a heart to the community. We try to serve the community in any way possible. Uh, one of the programs we have is uh, community 
language studies. You can go to Bethlehem. You can go to Bethlehem Bible College and teach English as a second language uh, to Palestinian students. Uh, some of them will be Muslim. Some of them will be Christians. But you can teach them English as a second language at Bethlehem Bible College. Also, we have the Ministry of the Shepherd Society. As you heard, I was the director of the Shepherd Society for many years. What we do at the Shepherd Society, we help the poorest of the poor in the Bethlehem area. If somebody is hungry, if somebody needs medicine, if somebody is sick, needs to go to the hospital, operation, we do help uh, through the ministries of the Shepherd Society. The Shepherd Society recently, for the last four years, have been sending groups of young people from Palestine to North Jordan to minister to Syrian refugees. So you can see here, uh, the guys there are saying, oh, I know this, I know this. <laughs> yeah, so you, you can see here some of our students working with Syrian refugee uh, um, boys and girls in the city of Mafraq in North Jordan. Every year now, Bethlehem Bible College makes four trips to minister to Iraqi refugees in Amman and to uh, Syrian refugees in Mafraq in uh, Jordan. Mafraq is a city that has small Christian community. As you see from this picture, you can see a church. We go under the umbrella of the church and we actually spend time visiting from home to home these refugees and ministering to them, giving, giving them what they essentially need to, to live. It's been a great experience to many of our students. Here I am in front of one of the refugee homes. And uh, this is inside the home. It's not much of anything, but that's how the refugees uh, live. He is lucky to even have a shelter where many of them don't have a shelter at all. Inside the refugee home, uh, sitting with a lot of children, and the children really attracted us to go to Mafraq, to Jordan, to minister to the Syrian refugees. But really, I mean, we go to minister to them, but we are blessed so much. And I encourage you, if you are interested through Bethlehem Bible College, you yourself can go and minister to these refugees. The door is open for anyone to go and minister to them. Uh, here is one of our volunteers. Uh, she is the lady on the right of the picture. Okay, let me do this. Yeah, here's one of our volunteers. She's the lady on the right of the picture, and she is with the Syrian Christian family, uh, Syrian Muslim family. But it's been a tremendous ministry, very beautiful ministry. And the children, and we love to minister to the children. Uh, Western volunteers, like I said, like this lady from Travis City, Michigan. She is there, ministering to the Syrian refugees. Another. Here are some Palestinian um, people ministering to the Syrian refugees, getting clothes for them and things like that. The lady with the red sweater is a volunteer from the Galilee area, from the city of Nazareth. She is sitting with the women while another volunteer is sitting with the men. But this is how 
it is with the Syrian refugee homes. The men, you know, go with the men, and the women go with the women to minister to the different refugees. Yeah, this lady captures our heart with her. This is a Syrian refugee girl, but you know, you can see the pain and the suffering uh, that these people have gone through. Here is a missionary uh, she, that joined us. Uh, her name is Kristen Brown, and she is holding a Syrian refugee child. And now I move to Gaza. We also, the Shepherd Society, have ministry in Gaza. In 2014, there was uh, an attack on Gaza. Most of Gaza was devastated. So we decided, what can we do at the Shepherd Society? We send a team. Now we have a ministry in Gaza going on ministry in Gaza for the people who are totally devastated. And uh, here is a young school boy, and behind him is the ruins of his neighborhood in Gaza. So what do we do in Gaza? We start projects to help the people. In Gaza, the average family has between four to six hours of electricity every day. To add to this electricity, we do this, this solar panel uh, you know, system to help the people with more electricity. Just anything to give the people in Gaza some life. So we encourage friends and, uh, you know, church members to come and visit Bethlehem and come and see the other side that you usually don't see on your uh, TV networks and come specially to see Bethlehem Bible College. Okay. I'm going to do something different. I'm going to have two questions before I go to my speech. That was just an introduction. <laughs> okay, who wants to ask the first question? Two questions. You can ask me anything about Bethlehem Bible College, the Shepherd Society, the Ministry of Bethlehem Bible College. Okay, if no questions, I will start something else. Yes. Uh, yes, as a matter of fact, this, this program is growing. We used to have one or two missions, say, to the Syrian refugees. Now we have four missions per year. And we used to have few people going, now more people want to go. And we, you have, we used to have smaller contributions, now the contributions are bigger. So we thank God. Yes. Yes. Which college? Bethlehem Bible College? Okay. Well, um, I usually don't like to do my propaganda, but you are begging for it. <laughs> well, Bethlehem Bible College really cannot survive without help from outside. Most of our students, they come to the Bible College, they cannot pay their full tuition. So we, I mean, the leaders, we've been asking people to support us from the West. And God has been good. For 36 years, we've been having Bible college totally by faith. We don't have a big sponsor, totally by faith. And we've never been in the red. 
That's the amazing thing. Never been in the red. Some of our students cannot pay, but we don't tell them, oh, because you can't pay, get out. We will take any students who is interested to study and we'll, we'll accept them. So we, we thank God, it's been a miracle. But if God puts on anybody's heart, that's my propaganda. <laughs> Write a check to Bethlehem Bible College. Yeah, it won't hurt at all. <laughs> yes? Ah, that's good. Where do the faculty come from and are they able to sustain themselves there? Well, when we started Bethlehem Bible College, all the faculty were international people, volunteers. I was the only Palestinian uh, Arab-speaking faculty member. I would even translate to the, all the Western teachers. You know, that's why my English got better. <laughs> you know. But by God's grace, some of our graduates became teachers at Bethlehem Bible College. And now, I would say, all of our teachers, with the exception of the English teacher, is a native Palestinian Christian from Bethlehem. All right. Okay, I, you know, we'll hold uh, to more questions maybe after I finish, if we have time, or while we are eating, okay? Now, biblical call to action. And here's the question. Does God call his people to act when we are faced with so much turmoil, so much bloodshed, so much instability, uh, so much pain uh, in the world? Does God call us to, uh, to, to act? You'll be surprised because many churches, many churches believe that we should not interfere. If there is a mess in Syria, if there is a mess in Iraq, if there is a mess in Palestine, in Israel, in Yemen, anywhere in the world, that, you know, the, the way they think, these are signs of the times. And the bigger the mess, the better, because that means Jesus is going to come back and finish everything. And therefore, don't ask me to act, leave it to God, okay? Leave it to God. You know, God has a plan and God carries on uh, God's plan. Well, but that doesn't, well, that's not what the Bible teaches. <laughs> you know, the least thing to say about it. That's, you know, I think, I think, I really believe that God calls his people to act, to, to be involved, to do something about this. Now, once you start acting on behalf of people who are oppressed, on behalf of people who are being destroyed, like in Iraq, in Syria, in Jordan, in Palestine, immediately some people will lab label you delving in politics. You are delving in politics. You are becoming too political. Well, I am here to say this morning that more Christians should be delving in politics. <laughs> you know, more Christians should be, we, we should not leave politics. I know, with few days you have an election, and most of you are just waiting for Tuesday to go by. 
you want to finish it up. You know, you, you, you don't want to hear anything about elections. You have heard so much mess about politics, and you are sick and tired of the politics of Democrats and Republicans and so on. But I would say, we as God's people, we cannot, we, we can't afford to resign, to resignate, or be despondent in a state of despondence about politics. We need to be involved because if every one of us, God's people, good people, will leave politics, imagine what kind of world will be much, much worse than it is today. You know, when I grew up, my Christian mentors told me, good Christians don't get involved in politics. Most of them were American missionaries. They would say, you know, you good Christians just don't get involved in politics. But when these missionaries came back to the United States, they were very political. But they wanted to tell us not to, to uh, delve in uh, politics ourselves. So how and why should Christians deal with political issues? The reason is because politics have a direct effect on the suffering of many people. We can't say we want to help people not to suffer and not to do anything about politics. You can't. You know, if you, if you leave politics, shut the door on politics, then you are shutting the door on people who are suffering so much. So, here is Webster's Dictionary um, definition of politics. Listen to this. Politics is the art or science concerned with guiding or influencing governmental policy. I'm going to read it again. Listen to me one more time. Okay. Politics is the art or science concerned with guiding or influencing governmental policy. Here is the question. Are we called by God to influence or to guide governmental policies? Yes. Amen. Amen. Yes, we, we are. And, and this is what we need to do. So, uh, do we have examples in the Bible? You see, I'm the kind of person who I like to get the proof from the Bible. If it's not in the Bible, I don't want to do anything with it. Okay. Moses, you know, God called him to confront Pharaoh. How can you be not political if you have to confront Pharaoh? It's impossible. How can you go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go, but I'm not political. <laughs> you cannot do that. You cannot do that. So once Moses has to go and confront Pharaoh with let my people go, he is getting in politics. The judges such as Gideon, Simon, Deborah, Samuel, they were all men of God, and at the same time, they were political leaders. Some of them were good political leaders, some of them were bad political leaders, but nevertheless, they were political leaders. The books of Samuel, King, Chronicles, they are all historical books. Can you be a king of Israel, like David, and not be political? Impossible, okay? The prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Amos, Zion, Micah, they were all men of God and men of politics at the same time. Jonah, do you remember the story of Jonah in the Bible? Do Mennonites still read the Bible? <laughs> okay, all right, Jonah began his ministry with an ethnocentric 
for you who don't know what's eth ethnocentric, it means self-centered on my nation and my people, you know, too patriotic to his own people. Uh, Jonah began his ministry with an ethnocentric political position. Surprisingly, by the time God finished with him, he had a completely different political perspective where he now sympathized with other people who are not of his same tribe or nation. God changed his political worldview. The birth of Jesus in Bethlehem is a display of good politics and bad politics. God was doing good politics in bringing his son to earth to be with us. Herod was doing bad politics by trying to kill Jesus and kill the children of Bethlehem. People who kill children, whether in Syria or in Iraq, or in Yemen, or in Palestine, are not doing good politics. They are doing bad politics. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Early Christians who went around proclaiming Jesus is Lord posed an unmatched political challenge to the Roman Empire. Consequently, Christians were persecuted. When, when you go around and say, Jesus is Lord, and when everyone else is saying, Caesar is Lord, well, you are delving in politics. That's why Christians were persecuted. The book of Revelation, with its declaration, Jesus is King of kings and Lord of lords, and the, kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, and he, Jesus, will reign forever and ever. Well, you know, at that time, in the Roman Empire, if you say these words, you are delving in politics. Because you are saying, it is not really Caesar who is Lord, it is Jesus who is, I mean, it's not Caesar, yes, it is Jesus who is Lord. And then the ethical teachings of Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, his death on the cross, his resurrection, had a great political influence for the last 2,000 years. And when you, when you, don't listen to that, listen to me, <laughs> when you and I, when you and I say, your kingdom come, when we say the Lord's Prayer, your kingdom come, your will be done, we are really delving in politics. When we want the kingdom of God to reign over our earth, we are really delving in politics. So, how can we influence politics? How can Christians, how can churches, how can Mennonites, how can you and I have an influence and impact on the political systems of this world? There's only one word, one word that you need to have in your mind and in your heart. That word is justice, justice. Wherever we see injustice, we confront it. Wherever we see injustice, we confront it. You know, when I was growing up also in, um, Jerusalem and Bethlehem. I never heard sermons about justice. I heard sermons about salvation. I heard sermons about healing. I heard sermons about everything. The first sermon I heard about justice was when I was in the seminary. And guess who preached it? Me. <laughs> you know, people hardly preach about justice. They preach about everything else. Does this mean that our Bible doesn't speak about this topic? Listen to these words. Okay, now, I'm going to read these verses 
When I come to the word justice, I want to, you to say it with me, okay? Here is the first one. Blessed are those who keep justice. and he who does righteousness at all time. Here's another one. Learn to do good, seek, justice. rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Listen to this. Then the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. But let run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. Thus says the Lord of hosts, execute true, show mercy and compassion, everyone to his brother and sister. Now, did Jesus have to do anything with this subject? Listen to what Jesus have to say. Okay, uh, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin. Means you are very, very good in tithing. But you neglected the more important matters of the law, which is? Justice. Yes, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So Jesus put justice on the top of his agenda, you know? Justice. You, you, have, you are doing a lot of good things, but you have forgotten justice. And that was not good as far as Jesus is concerned. So, one of the most uh, powerful verses about justice is what we heard this morning, what was read. Deliver those who are drawn towards death and hold back those stumbling to the slaughter. If you say, listen to this, if you say, Surely we did not know this. This means, I don't know what's going on in the world. The reason I'm not doing it, the reason why I'm not fighting injustice is because I don't know it. Okay, what does God say back to us? Does not he who weighs the heart consider it? God knows your heart. You cannot fool God. You can fool preacher. You can fool churches. You can fool community, but you cannot fool God. He who keeps your soul, does he not know it? In other words, God knows what you can do and whether you are willing to do it or not. So, this is what I want to ask you this morning. You know, do you know, let me skip something for the sake of the time. Do you know that Gazans have been strangled by 10 years of an unauthorized choking economic blockade, and Palestinians in both the Gaza Strip and the West Bank have suffered for the last 50 years under an illegal occupation. Do you know that? Yeah. All right. Do you know that the unquestioned U.S. support, this means our support, to Israel is one of the biggest obstacles to the success of any past, present, or future peace negotiation. You cannot negotiate peace with Israel as long as you give Israel $38 billion for arms. You know, you cannot. You have to do one or the other. As long as you give Israel billions and billions of dollars in support, you cannot say, Israel, hey, do justice with the Palestinians. Do you know that U.S. policies in the Middle East are indirectly giving support to the radical Islamic movements that are causing much turmoil in the region? 
Do you know that the current Israeli blockade of Gaza has prevented Gazans from building any of the thousands of homes that the Israelis have bombed in 2012 and 2014? Do you know that by continuing to build settlements in the West Bank, Israel is destroying the possibilities of achieving a two-state solution and consequently destroying the chances for peace and reconciliation. Do you know these things? Now, if you are not sure that I'm telling you the truth, I urge you to start searching. Even if you have to buy a ticket and go and see it with your own eyes. Do you know that you can make a difference? And I believe because the Spirit of God is in you, you can make a difference. And I want to say to the Mennonites among you here, most of you probably are Mennonites, this is our legacy. This is our tradition. This is the calling that God gave the Mennonite church to stand for peace and justice in the world. If Mennonites drop this issue, you become like all other churches. You become like all other denominations. God has given you a special calling. Pursue it, you know? And, and the Palestinian people, and my brothers here will tell you, and any Palestinian in this place will tell you, we are not asking for sympathy. We are not asking for charity. We are asking for intervention. We want you to come, intervene, come and be an advocate in order to stop the suffering of Palestinians and the suffering of the Israelis because a jailer sometimes continues to suffer as long as he or she is putting other people under blockade, under prison. So what to do, what to do? First of all, what we have to do as Mennonites, as Christians, as God's people, we need to start to dream of the possibility of peace. Dream. Can you imagine if Palestinians and Israelis will reconcile, will have peace? Can you imagine what will happen in the Middle East? You see, the whole world is looking at the Middle East. And if the Israelis, Muslims, Christians, and Jews can reconcile in Israel and Palestine, it will bring shock waves, positive shock waves, good shock waves all over the world. Because throughout the world, there are about 2 billion Muslims, 1.5 billion, 2 billion Christians, 1.5 billion Muslims, and millions of Jews who are looking at the Holy Land, and they are, they are wondering what is happening. If peace happens there, it will translate to peace in the world. If you want peace in the world, start in Palestine and do peace with the Palestinian people. Okay, the other, so, so dream of the possibilities of peace. There are great possibilities. The second thing, draw close, draw close. You remember the story of the Good Samaritan? The, one of the first things that the Samaritan did when he saw the victim, the Bible say he drew close to him. He walked towards the victim. And I would say, come close. Come, come and see. And the more you, you, you see the Palestinian-Israeli situation, the more you become aware who's right and who is wrong, who's oppressing who, who's terrorizing who, who's stealing whose land, who's stealing whose water. You will be aware of the realities 
and then you can respond in the right way. So I, I ask you to draw close. Then the number three, be prophetic, be prophetic. Prophetic, it doesn't mean only to tell what's happening, in the, what will happen in the future. No, prophetic means create the future. Create the future by being an advocate, all right? Create the future by standing up and screaming out and say it is wrong. I love the people who are called Christian peacemaker team because they are not only people who think about peace and who write poems about peace and who sing in church about peace, but they are people who are willing to, uh, to stick their neck out and stand between Israelis and Palestinians and try to create peace in a practical way. And I think all of us are called to do that. And finally, I would say, in all of our efforts, let us be nonviolent. Let's, let's be, I don't want Christians in the West to start a new crusade in the Holy Land, to liberate the Holy Land from anybody. No, I want Christians in the West to be totally nonviolent, to take my hand, a Palestinian, and the hand of the Israelis, bring them together and help us create peace. That's what we want to do, so that the future generations of Palestinians and Israelis can live in peace and in harmony. Finally, I want to read you some words that Isaiah spoke them, and they are written also in Matthew, describing the ministry of Jesus. It says, here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love, talking about Jesus, in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he, our Lord Jesus Christ, he will proclaim, he will proclaim, one more time, he will proclaim to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you because you are a God of peace, you are a God of love, and you are a God of justice. We thank you for this church. We thank you for everything that they are doing. I pray, Lord, help us all to take this calling, this biblical calling, to be active and help us to do your will here in the United States and all over the world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.